Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my Wardrobe Malfunction, the podcast where each week I talk to a very special guest about their relationship with clothes. We hear about their comfort blanket, their birthday suit, and of course, all about their most outrageous wardrobe malfunction. If you've joined us before, welcome back, and thanks so much for your support. If you've stumbled across us for the first time, hello, it's lovely to have you aboard. If you like what you hear, there are 32 more episodes to find. We've interviewed Elizabeth Hurley, Dames Kristen Scott-Thomas and Zandra Rhodes, Tan France, Daisy Mae Cooper, Stacey Dooley, Dan Snow, Ruth Davidson, and many, many more fantastic figures from public life. Speaking of which, let's get on to today's guest, the first of Series 5. It's Alexandra Schulman, former editor-in-chief of Vogue, who has just published a book that encapsulates exactly what my wardrobe malfunction is about. It's called Clothes and Other Things That Matter. I absolutely loved it and was dying to find out more. So, let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Today, um, gosh, I, I'm feeling a little bit intimidated, actually, although I know that shouldn't be the case, but I'm with Alexandra Shulman. Vogue editor for, what, 25 years and also author of the most amazing book, which I loved, and you read it so well on audiobook, Clothes and Other Things That Matter. And um, I just, I loved the way, Alexandra, that you um, did the chapters, so into bras and bags and shoes. It, that was so inspired. Well, how did you come up with that idea? Oh, Susanna, thanks so much. That's really, really sweet of you. Um, I, you know, it's hard always to go back and think, how did something come up but I wanted to write something about clothes first of all my publishers asked me to write a book about ageless dressing and I just felt it was something yeah that I didn't have enough to say about to write a book yeah and then I kind of knew that people would like to read about Vogue but I didn't want to write a memoir about Vogue so I was trying to kind of think you know what can I write about clothes that would interest people and it interests me to write so I thought, well, how about I go through the clothes that have meant something to me in my life? And actually, I copied, uh, slightly copied, Nigel Slater's toast formula, okay. where he he did his life through things that he had eaten. But he had a very dramatic um, sort of biographical story, autobiographical story with, you know, very lots of problems in his childhood and everything. And of course, I had this sort of glaringly sort of privileged, um, untroubled childhood, which didn't have any kind of terrible narrative to go. So Mm. that's what kind of made me think, well, it's got to be about more than just my relationship to the clothes. I need to write about Mm. how clothes make people feel in general. 
But I, I mean, you say that you didn't, you know, you didn't have kind of struggle in your childhood and, and in your early years. But at the same time, you're very open about it and, and revealing about your own insecurities and, and something that as editor of Vogue, people wouldn't have anticipated at all. Yeah, I thought that. And I was surprised in some of the reviews where they said, you know, that I hadn't opened up because actually I thought, well, there's not much more to open up about. I really? kind of told you how I feel about my pubic hair. I mean, there's not yeah. much more open you can get. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think I was fairly, fairly honest. I think you had to be. I think if I was going to do it, I had to. And I was going to write about clothes and emotion. It had to mm. be kind of honest but also what I've really liked when people have read it is how many people have said it made me look at my wardrobe in a different way and I realized mm. all the stories my own clothes tell mm. and actually it made me think no I don't want to get rid of that you know I do really have mm. an, an attachment to it. Mm. I mean you are the embody embodiment of this podcast and so it's talking to people who have memories through their clothing and that was your book and I I found it so accessible as well and so relatable and it like you say so many memories came flooding back things that I'd forgotten about and I did exactly the same I went down to my wardrobe and I looked I looked through them and every single piece had a story attached to it yeah and I mean you're a bit younger than me but I think quite a lot of the life that I describe sort of the 80s life and everything will be things that you must have slightly identified totally. with and had the same kind of outfits mm. and you know the kind of the Joseph suit and the bodycon dresses and all of that actually not that I ever wore a bodycon dress because <laughs> my body does not suit that. Uh, no, it didn't really. And I write about it a bit in the book. So I'm very aware of the fact that everybody says, you know, you don't look like the kind of the fashion editor person. But I think... Doesn't that piss you off? Does that piss you off? Uh, I find it funny after about 23 years when people were still saying to me, you don't look like... You know, a woman would come and interview me and say, you know, the, you just don't look like the editor of Vogue. And I'd think, I've been here for a quarter of a century, practically. You know, <laughs> if it's not me that looks like the editor of Vogue, who, who is this, this person now? You know, I understood it to begin with. But no, on a more serious level, I think I was kind of aware of the issues around appearance and dress um, as a Vogue editor. And I think that... I think I'm one of those people who's so competitive that if I'm not going to win, okay. I won't compete. So I made a kind of decision that I was not going to enter that particular race, you know, to, to look like the perfect um, sleek and, you know, gorgeous fashion person because mm. I wasn't ever going to be very good at it. I was going to feel uncomfortable doing something that I didn't feel was really my strength and as I say you know I wasn't going to win <laughs> no but it's 
It's funny, I'll tell you a story. Um, I was, uh, which is is really, um, is on a parallel with this. I went to meet Mutual Prada to, because she was coming over to the UK and God only knows how I got the job. She wanted me to do the launch party and, and the PR for it. Anyway, so I went, I was flown out to Milan. Yeah. And um, I went and I was shown up to this office and um, this woman said to me, do you want a cup of tea? And I, I said, gosh, that's so kind. Yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. And then she went and, and sat down behind Mutual Prada's desk, sat in her chair and switched on the computer. She might have been before computers, I can't remember. But she was doing, you know, she was kind of rifling around. I thought, what's the cleaner doing? You know, this is a bit rich. What's she doing? And it was Mutual Prada. And she is someone, and I just thought, my God, you do not. And I had no idea what she looked like before that, and I was so shocked. But, yeah, she was amazing. So she's my, she's actually my, you know, people say, who's your style heroine? And Mutua, I think, I don't have many kind of style heroines, mm. but Mutua is one. I just love the way she kind of mixed that, the almost drab with something normally stonkingly fashionable and mm. always incredible jewellery. So, you know, she's jewelry, in, as yes. it were, the, the, the cleaner outfit, you know, something very, very yeah. kind of plain and whatever. And then she's got kind of Catherine the Great's earrings dripping Yeah, from her exactly. And amazing brooches. And, uh, yeah, I remember talking to her about that and saying that she always went to S.J. Phillips. So, um, you, in your book... It's like you talk about clothes and the memories that you have associated with them, but you didn't talk so much about how clothing can enhance or crush your mood. Do you dress for to change your mood or do you dress on your mood? Such a good question, that, isn't it? Um, does what you wear make you feel something or do you wear yeah. something that reflects how you're feeling. Um, or to make you feel better. Yeah, to make yourself. you feel better. Well, I found in um, in lockdown, you know, clothes were quite interesting because the book came out April the 23rd. So just as we were really, you know, we'd had three weeks or something of being locked in. And the whole issue about what you were going to wear, what you got up in the morning and wear was something you know, everyone was kind of talking about, oh, I'm still in my pyjamas, or I only want to wear a t-shirt, or whatever, and actually, I found that I really wanted to get dressed properly, because I felt that if I let myself go down that rabbit hole, um, bad things were going to happen, you know, I was going to be, I was going to get depressed, and I was going to start yeah. feeling more isolated, and... I was lucky that I had the book because I had something that I was also promoting. So I had a lot going on at the same time, which does help. Because I think if you're literally doing nothing and sitting at home, possibly having to teach your kids, you know, the temptation to not get out of the dressing gown would have been greater. But on the whole, I tend to think um, that clothing can affect your mood and you can help yourself by by what mm. you wear, um, even if mm. that's to say you're going to give yourself a day off. I remember when I went to Vogue, 
or when I'd been at Vogue for a bit, and I remember thinking just to myself, I thought, God, I really wish I was like the features assistant and I could just turn up in a pair of jeans and an old V-neck, you know, and have that day where, like, <laughs> nobody was going to look at me and it didn't matter, yeah. you know. Because I read, I read that you, like, um, during the elections, that you put your happy pants on. God only knows what they must be like. But your happy pants to make yourself better when Boris Johnson got in. Yeah, that's right. Put on a pair of um, my yoga teacher made made me three pairs of those Thai fishermen's, um, deeply unattractive. I know. Oh my god! I know. Well, yeah. I love them. Of course, the person I live, man, I live with thinks that you know beyond. But anyway, because they yeah. really are hideous on you. But they were there. Yeah. This wonderful pair of pink, very very fine cotton, and it was a baking hot day. It was the African plume had hit yeah. London. And I kind of thought, I was really depressed about hearing the news um, about Boris. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to wear, I'm wearing these trousers. They're pink. They're my holiday trousers. I'm going to do everything I can with my clothes to pretend what I thought was a very difficult moment coming up that was going to happen. Mm. So, yeah, I was, I did that very deliberately, but I didn't. It was when I wrote about it that I realised that's what I'd done, not when I was mm. thinking about it, you know? Because mm. mm. I, I, I mean, I so agree with you, because if I wake up and, you know, anxiety is something in my life, and which I think you've, you've had as well, and um, if I'm feeling really shit about myself and I wake up in the morning, I will dress up, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm, you know, not leaving the house and I live in the countryside, I will still dress up to make myself feel more empowered it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks I just do it for myself yeah I think dressing should be for yourself really I mean that's the mm. important thing you don't really dressing for other people is not really what it's about it's dressing mm. for yourself isn't it yeah but how do you get so how do you get how you know you, you have a son don't you so you don't have do you have a daughter okay so you have a son so if you had a daughter let's say or you've got nieces how do you translate that to the younger generation that it's not about fucking Instagram? It's it's about dressing for yourself. Yeah, well, I um I brought up my stepdaughter from the age of twelve to twenty two, so I did have mm. that experience of of uh, actually uh, it was before Instagram. Um, I'm pleased to say, but still, yeah. you know, but still, uh, you know, a digital world. And um, to be honest, I don't think there's really a way that you can mm. get that message. I mean, because they, I remember that she would go out and she'd like, she had the most lovely skin and she would put pancake yeah. all over her face, you know? Yeah. And she looked like, you know, as it were, a right slapper by the time she'd put yeah. everything on. And, you know, and she'd go out and she'd be, you know, and she was the classic. She'd wear, you know, tottering around in high heels and very short skirts and crop tops and everything. And I kind of thought, you know, what are you doing, you know, turning yourself into the kind of stereotype, you know, sort of, ditzy little thing you don't have to do that but then I realized that that's what she wanted to do and that's what all her friends wanted to do and yeah. they were doing it for themselves they weren't doing it because they felt actually yeah. pressurized into doing it they enjoyed yeah. all of that and I think 
it I think to some extent you can't say to you you can tell young women they've got to be sure that they're doing it for themselves and that they're enjoying it but if you think that they're sort of molding themselves in a way that you don't approve of or don't think is right I I kind of get the feeling there's not much you can do about it and just have to hope yeah. it's a phase yeah, yeah. do you have yeah, a do you I have a daughter I have two daughters and they're both kind of feral a bit like me and, and luckily they don't give a damn about that. So, but um, I think, you know, obviously what you're saying too comes with maturity and we've all got to experiment, which is something you did when you were 12 years old, didn't you? And bought your yellow PVC Mac. Talk me through that, Alexandra. Yellow PVC Mac from Kids in Gear in the, in the King's Road. Yes, that was a, that was a bit of a horror show. That PVC mat. That was probably one of the worst buys that I've had. But I loved it. Loved it at the time. And bought with your own money. Bought with my own money. Saved well, up. There you go. But then, okay, so going just going back to the younger generation and dressing for themselves, it's like you've got, is it wide feet you mentioned? That you've got wide, E, double yeah, E, yeah, yeah. double E. Is that really narrow or really wide? Really wide. Okay. And that they were kind of like a barring you from being the person you wanted to be so who did you want to be well that that story comes right at the beginning of the book buying you know the mm. the classic school sandals and being measured yeah. for them and the the guy measuring them or the woman always saying to whoever took me oh modem I'm afraid she's a double e and me not realizing that the word afraid was meant what made double E a bad thing rather oh, than, okay. you know, not yeah. she's a double E could have been fine, but afraid yeah. told me there was some, something was wrong with being a double E. So that was kind of my first uh, experience of thinking that, you know, sort of width was not um, yeah. a good thing. You talked about being kind of self-conscious and usually that comes, you know, about your body, and usually that comes from someone saying something to you when you're young. Did that ever happen to you? Well, I think I think I'm not particularly. I think I'm. I mean, yeah, it's been written before, but you know, my parents were very kind of like, you know, do not eat so another. Remember your mum. Yeah, do not eat yeah, another biscuit. Yeah. And my mother going into when I was. I guess about nine, going into the school and telling the teachers, the headmistress, that I wasn't to have potatoes because she thought I was getting too fat. And the headmistress coming into school lunch, where there was always this Pyrex bowl of mashed potato with a pool of butter and the thing, and announcing to the Delicious. whole dining room, Alexandra Shawman is not allowed potato. Now... I remember it and it sounds terrible now and you know it was not it wasn't great but actually it's never really made a huge dent in my confidence yeah. about myself I mean my dad was always telling me that I was too fat you know and um but somehow or other these things I've not been able to analyze why it is that some people feel insecure and are made, you know, much more self-conscious about their bodies than than me. I mean, I always knew that I wasn't I didn't have like the perfect figure. I wasn't slim. 
Um, mm. I've always had kind of short legs, um, but I've never felt really unconfident about my mm. body in the way that I know women who have goddess-like bodies, mm. who are completely neurotic about them, you know, who practically won't let their husband see them naked, you know. Um, and so I don't know, I have a very healthy body image, though God knows why. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it comes from, from uh, I mean, you, yeah, that is interesting given the arena you worked in for so many years. But I do think if, if you've got something else to offer, you know, you're very eloquent, you write very well, you've managed this magazine, so you are not identified by your body and that you are identified and respected for something much greater than that yeah but I didn't go to Vogue until I was 34 and before that okay. you know I was a journalist um who wasn't dealing with fashion um and but I did work in I did work in magazines but I mean to be honest I was you know I wasn't like it wasn't that bad you know I I looked okay it's just I didn't have the kind of you know, the dream body, but, you know, for mm. most of my, realistically, for most of my 20s, you know, when I look at the pictures now, I think, oh, my God, you know, that was that pretty was good. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're like, hang on, <laughs> what was I yeah. talking about? Yeah, it's interesting that if only we could hold on and live in the moment when, we, when we're in that's, our 20s, 30s, that's, 40s. That's the, pat, that's the thing we should tell or you should tell or yeah. everyone should tell the young women is that, you know, you really, you're gorgeous and you, you're only going to realise it, you know, later. But seize the moment, feel it now, you know, because that's such yeah. a, it's such a great thing. And I, I don't know about you, but I do think... Well, it's interesting because I'm thinking of writing, sort of a, working on the idea of sort of, a sort of piece about this whole business of, of women, how women feel about aging. And I'm just surprised by how many women feel so bad about aging when I kind of feel nothing at all about it, really. It's just not a preoccupation I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think I, I certainly did have a, a moment, but I don't now. I don't know because it's it's that old thing. If you can't change something, then there's no point worrying about it. You know, just get on with it for goodness sake. But I did love. I mean, going back again to your childhood, the the story that made me literally scream out loud with laughter was a, a school play where you were allocated the role of thunderstorm or thundercloud or something, and all the other girls were raindrops. Oh, yeah, just was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever read in my life. <laughs> And it was true, and it was true. Oh, it's it's dan brilliant. It was, you know, the dance class that we all used to be sent to. Yeah, and there I was. I had to stomp around crossly with everyone else mm. doing. Oh my god! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Brilliant. And then you loved, then you, so you wanted to be a hairdresser. That didn't work out. And then you wanted to go into the music business and you loved your musical icons were, well, who were they? Patti Smith, Patti Smith, Simon, Joni Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah. So were they just musical icons or did you want to dress like them? Did you want to kind of physically be like them? Oh well? yeah, I physically wanted to be like them. I think that one of the things I feel, and I don't know if it's so true now, but I think certainly for my generation and generations previous to me and probably slightly after, I think that your um, your kind of cultural lodestones are when you're from about 13 through to kind of 19 and the music that you listen to then will always be the music that really means the most to you mm. around then. And probably the looks at that time, there'll always be a kind of something that you rather treasure. I mean, it's not that you're going to be actually wearing those clothes but certainly I wanted you know I wanted to look like Joni Mitchell or actually more wanted to look like Carly Simon probably if I had mm. to choose who to to look like mm. and then there's a wonderful Carol King cover of um, Tapestry you know and mm -hmm. she's like sitting on a in a window with a kind of knitted sweater and a pair of jeans and bare feet and that was sort of such a you know for my generation you know, with curly hair, it was a very attainable kind of look that we all yeah. kind of could really identify with. And then Paddy Smith comes along and I use her to write about the white shirt because she comes mm. along with her horses, the rubber Mapplethorpe cover of horses, yeah. and she's in a white shirt with braces and a tie and she's like this kind of androgynous urchin street urchin and just blows that whole kind of hippie long-haired feminine thing out the water and then I wanted to, all I wanted to be was like her in a pair of white shirts mm. and skinny jeans again not really a good look for me <laughs> mm. it's, it's we all kind of gravitate I mean I always gravitated to unattainable kind of sartorial role models that there was you know there's no way I could even get close I wonder whether if you are sort of 15 now you know do, do you want to look like Rihanna do you want to look like Beyonce do you want to look like Dua Lipa I mean or Mabel I mean I just wonder I don't know whether I don't think so I think that all their kind of role models speaking from my own daughters are you know they have their own identity sort of and then they'll look for it's instagram where they find it it's not through music at all right interesting especially, especially as they all like kind of drum and bass and jungle they're not going to find that <laughs> but um and then another thing that is that i love about you i can't believe this you didn't wear a bra for how many years 
Do you know, it's the thing that most people have asked me about in this book. I'm not surprised, because you've got quite big boobs, haven't you? It, well, yeah, I do now. Um, but from the age of about 18, I guess, until I had Sam, 34, so I forget what, or 36. So, yeah, it was yeah, about yeah. 30 years, what, 20 years? Oh, my, my son's 20 years. I didn't wear a bra. Mm. Um, and actually, it's still something that... I really resent wearing a bra. I don't like yeah. wearing a bra. Yeah, I, I'm. And so, do you have hundreds in your cupboard? Yeah, I counted them for the book. I had thirty-five. But you know what? I've just had a huge cull of bras. Um, yeah. I've found. I've just. One of the things I really always want to ask people is like, how often do you change your bra, and how long do you keep a bra for? Because every time I look mm. at my bras, I think. Should I be getting rid of this? And then when I take them off, I think, should I be washing it, having worn it once, or can it do two? I sort of like, people don't know this bra stuff, and I think they need to. I think they need to as well, but I don't have a single bra. Actually, I do have, I found this new company called Atollo, who make bras, beautiful bras for people with big boobs, and um, they're amazing, but... Until then, I hated every single bra, and I've never, I struggle so much to find a bra that's comfortable and doesn't make my boobs look enormous, even bigger than they are. And it's impossible, so I'll often resort to wearing a, you know, shock absorber, sports bra. Yeah, yeah, which, which doesn't help. Actually, I found, um, there's a shop in, in Notting Hill, I think it's called Maison L. Anyway, it sells un bras. And uh, I was asked to go there to have a look at it. And I kind of thought, oh, it's just going to not be that interesting. And all I can say is the woman there looked at me, could immediately see what size I was, and managed to get me to buy four of the most beautiful bras I've ever had, all of which are delicate. That's the point. They're oh, delicate. Really? You know, they've got lovely little satin straps here. No, I have to go. So they're not like proper you do. I'll, I'll send you afterwards the address and everything of it. Properly, yeah. it properly helpful. They're not cheap, I have to say, but they're worth every yeah. penny. Yeah. No, I, I'm still I'm still on that journey. So that would be amazing to find out about that. So um so are you wearing a bra now? I am wearing, wearing one a bra of your now. new bras. It's not one of my new bras. It's a turquoise uh, lacy bra, and it's pretty old, actually. Okay, yeah, we always kind of revert back to the old favourites. Um, so, Alexandra, what was um, going on to Vogue? Um, what was your favourite? You, did you ever have a favourite cover during your time there? It's a bit like asking a favourite child. It's really difficult to answer that question yeah. because, you know, I did, what, 25 years. Yeah, is the one that you really were unhappy with. I know oh, lots of ones that. I was unhappy with. Lots of ones I was unhappy oh. with because um, one of the things is that when you're dealing with photographic imagery and you're you're an editor, you're not actually there on the shoot. So you've got mm. a photographer and a fashion editor and, and the yeah. subject and hair and makeup or whatever. But actually what appears is very often something different to what you think is going to appear. And, mm. you know, I'm a bit of a control freak and I find it very <laughs> difficult to accept the fact 
that actually um, quite often uh, images would appear that weren't really how I thought they were going to be, even though I sort of knew what the ingredients were. They didn't work out quite how I thought. And mm. probably if I have any regret, and I don't, I'm not a great one for regrets, but I think I probably should have gone on more cover shoots because then I could have, you know, had a bit more kind of control over them because you can't, if you've got like an actress for one day and she's in town and doing it, if you don't like it, you're not getting another opportunity. So quite often we'd have to run with something that actually wasn't exactly what what I wanted. Mm. And and so you it's like mainly now the covers of Vogue seem to be famous people, and also in your time they were kind of celebrities. And it's, did you did you ever want to meet any of them, or are you someone who kind of like no? I'm wants to I'm very go happy to your shell. I'm very happy to have famous people kept to the distance um, yeah, I, from me. Yeah, I met. There's a story in your book where you sit next to your kind of your 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 cinematic idol, Richard yeah. Gere, and you become a mute. Yeah, totally mute. I think all I said was <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh my god! Didn't you kick yourself afterwards? Yeah, of course. And when I was writing, I was oh. thinking, couldn't you even have an interesting story to write? <laughs> That's so tragic. Has anything else like that happened to you where you've thought, oh, if only? Well, I'm sure there are millions of things, millions, I think, yeah. where, where if only. But I, one of my problems is I have, um, I have no memory. I mean, really, really, really very little memory. And so... Well, long-term memory or short-term memory? Uh, long-term memory. So... Okay. Lots of things probably did happen that I can't remember. And I regret the fact that I can't remember them. But there we so go. So how did you write your book? How did you remember? Did did the items or is it all I have before? photograph albums. I keep photograph okay. albums and always have done. So that was very helpful. And diaries. I've always kept yeah. not not literally a daily diary every day, but mm. between what I mean, I have got tons of diaries and, and I found engage. I kept engagement diaries, like literally what. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so like certainly in the 80s or for instance, I'd see like, you know, something like lunch at, uh, what was that place called that had little, uh, it, was, it wasn't in the book actually, but it was where they, it was the first time they had kind of little, uh, it was Anthony Worrell Thompson, and he did, did like little um, plates of food kind of thing. Anyway, I can't remember what it was, what it was called, but you know, I'd see that, and then suddenly it would flash back, you know, who I was having the lunch with, and then I could remember a bit about what they were wearing and things. But if I didn't have it written down or I didn't have a picture of it, a very little of it is actually stuck in my my memory. So I, I regret that. Yeah. But has it always been like that, your memory? Yeah. Mm. Really? That's so strange, isn't it? Yeah, it is odd. Um, there are three of us. I have a sister um, and a brother. And, you know, I had to lean on them for memories quite a lot. Mm. Um, my memory is famously the worst. Okay. 
Well, thank yeah. Well, what are you going to do now without an assistant? How are you going? You've just got to write everything down constantly. I know um, the whole time. Oh no, I'm okay on that. I can remember telephone numbers, and I know what I'm. I can remember what I'm going to do at four yeah. o'clock next Thursday. Something fascinating yeah. like that. But I can't remember a conversation that I would have had with David Bowie. Say so that would have all gone. <laughs> oh my God! Shame on you. That is just a travesty. Um, but this is called my wardrobe malfunction. Yes. What was your worst, Alexandra? Okay, so I was thinking about that. And I think the one that comes to mind was um, I had Sam when I had been at Vogue for, I think, three years. And mm -hmm. um, in those days, you didn't take very much maternity leave. So I had... I think it was 16 weeks maternity leave and it was August and you know I'd, I'd literally got found a nanny the night before um yeah I mean it was and I'd spent practically my whole maternity leave trying to find a nanny um anyway and so I'd had to leave you know the most precious thing in the world with a young woman that I'd only met the night before mm. um obviously I had interviewed oh her but uh, anyway, so anyway, I'm going back into the office to work for the first time in, you know, four months. And I have to say, you know, I, I didn't find maternity leave one of the most fun periods of my life. I found it quite stressful and mm. alienating. And I was very on my own in a way. And um, mm. so I thought, you know, well, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get dressed properly and, you know, get dressed up. So I put on this... Um, beautiful kind of pale lilac uh it was alberta ferretti's shift dress i remember so a sleeveless shift dress mm. quite tight fitting and it was kind of the first i think it was the first time i'd ever worn it i think i'd got it it had been i'd ordered it and it'd been delivered while i was on maternity leave so it was all new and everything and I was really looking forward to it. And then I was going to have to go and see everybody, you know, my boss, Nicholas, and that and the other all in the office and whatever. And I'd drive, get in the car, drive to work, go into, um, go into my office, and I pass a mirror, and literally my boobs had been leaking milk all down, all through my dress. I mean, I was just like this huge stain all over oh, the front of my, my dress gosh. and I didn't have anything else to wear obviously I didn't come in with a change <laughs> so of clothes what did you do that's a bit I can't remember <laughs> I guess I had to I think I I think I tried to borrow a hairdryer <laughs> then you had that lovely ring of no return yeah the yeah kind of watermark yeah exactly oh <laughs> and it was kind of you know I always think of it as this kind of this awful kind of clash of sort of you know what it's like <laughs> to be a new mother and yeah. this professional woman you know and, and I wanted to I was happy going back to work I didn't resent going back to work and mm. you know and it was really nice in many ways to see other people and I remember the joy of my um, PA bringing me a cup of coffee you know nobody had made me a cup of coffee in four months or five months yeah. or whatever um, but that thing of the leaking breasts all over the Alberta Ferretti shift dress was yeah. Yeah, hard to beat. A, a wardrobe malfunction for that sure. Is a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so do you, were you witness to any kind of wardrobe malfunctions that happened to other people? You must have been. Um, 
I must have been a bit of a you know memory problem here but I do thinking about that I do remember there was a phase and it isn't a specific one but there was a phase on the catwalk and it must have been gosh I really don't know let's say 10 years ago maybe slightly more where a lot of designers were putting the girls in these incredibly high shoes. I mean, really, really high. And it wasn't like Naomi falling on her Vivian Westwood shoes. Mm. Um, it was a, it was kind of a trend when lots of people were. And you could see these poor little girls with their uber skinny legs and like these huge galumphing shoes that they just couldn't walk in. And you mm. kept thinking they're going to break their ankle and there was a show and I'm not going to say which designer it was mm. where literally three of them fell you know it was like oh my god and you just thought this is something really a little bit sick like here almost. a bit really yeah. a bit abusive yeah and then what about um your comfort blanket do you have is it your happy pants what what is your comfort blanket in terms of clothing well um I'd sort of thought that there's, in a way, it's kind of two. They're sort of a double act. Um, I have actually got them here. Do you want to have a look? Oh, yeah. Let's have a look. So it's a very, very old Bottega Veneta bag. One of these ones which the... Uh, the, well, the woven one. Yeah. The, oh, the, like that. Lovely. Yeah. Right? It looks old. Yeah. Yeah. It's so old, it's got holes in the bottom. But... <laughs> Every time I go on a plane, I which I hate doing, yes, I take this the bag fear of flying because it's my. Fabulous. I feel like almost superstitious about it. It's been so many places with me, and then in the bag is this, which is the most gorgeous. Oh, is that Louis Vuitton? Yeah, one of the Louis Vuitton. Oh, yeah. Louis Vuitton, stunning cashmere scarf. Again, I'm afraid moth-ridden moth-ridden but it doesn't matter <laughs> and it goes everywhere so it's kind of like it's a kind of pillow when I travel yeah. or it makes nice. me feel warm and they go together so those Perfect. are really my and they're literally my safety comfort blankets yeah okay and then what about your birthday suit something that your go-to dress trousers something that if you, you know you've got to go and have lunch with Richard Gere <laughs> Um, this was a harder one to to do. Um, I've got a really beautiful dress that say um, it's a green lace dress by Erdem that um, I've got about I don't know about eight years ago, and mm -hmm. I wore it for the publication of. Uh, second novel I wrote which was called The Parrots and that had this kind of almost like leaf-like pattern and it's it's kind of like got straps here and a slightly square neck and fitted nice. bodice and a flared skirt just below the knee and it just is every time I wear that dress people just say how nice it looks on me so yeah. um when I'm not sure what to wear I put that dress That's on. That's it? Yeah That's job it. done. Alexandra, you are, part of me feels that we're separated at birth <laughs> with the moths and the old clothes and the bras and everything. And you're so wonderfully down to earth and 
I, for one, miss you so much at Vogue. And I genuinely loved your book. I, I'm going to listen to it. On, I've listened to the audio and now I'm going to read it as well because books I love, that's what I do. So anyone who loves clothes, it's, you've got to um, buy her book, Clothes and Other Things That Matter, because it's, it's just surprising. I loved it. And um, thank you so much. Thank you so much too. Thank you to Alexandra for her time and congratulations on a really wonderful book. Right, before we go, I'd like to tell you about our pyjama party. It's the place where you tell me all about your own clothing calamities. You can find it on our website at mywardmail.com. And if you have a story you'd like to share, then email me at help at mywardmail.com. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at MyWardMal. And we'd be so grateful if you could have a moment to rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. That's it, nearly. Thanks to our heavenly house band, Duo. By the way, they've got a new album coming out soon and it's called Gig in Your Garden, inspired by the free weekly gigs they've played in gardens of key and frontline workers. They're giving 50p from every CD sale and 10% of digital downloads to the Florence Nightingale Foundation. So please find, follow and support them at duoguitarmusic.com because they really are amazing, you know, they're so bloody talented. Anyway, thanks again to Alexandra and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 